in your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Genesis chapter 9. We'll start there. Can everybody hear me okay? I'm not sure I'm hearing myself. That's the reason I keep messing with my hearing aids. You know, this thing about these school shootings is on our mind. I think God comes in with his messages to give us a way to think. You know as well as I do that we are supposed to think like Jesus. Let this mind be in you that also is in Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what our word says. So we're supposed to think like Jesus did. And Jesus thought like God did. And so inevitably, I mean, it comes to a place to where essentially when we learn about what God says about what we're supposed to think, it's thinking like he thinks. We've made a mess of that, folks. We really have. Y'all know my opinions about all that, but I think anytime you turn anything spiritual over to people, you're going to have it stepped on and distorted and changed to where it doesn't get to be too long for Jesus probably wouldn't even recognize it if he wasn't the son of God. And that's what we've done with a lot of, of what God has set out for us. To give you a little background of where I'll be today, you know, God's chosen people, the Israelites, he promised them a land. They called it the promised land. It was Canaan there around Jerusalem. And when he moved them there, he not only gave them the Ten Commandments, but he gave them about 500 civil laws along with it that came through Moses to govern the people in their everyday business just like we have our civil laws now. Most of our civil laws originated with his civil laws, but a lot of them didn't. And we'll discuss that today about what his perfect plan was for us, for his chosen people. Anybody who is God's chosen people, he's got a way for us to live. And we can't even live that way today if we wanted to simply because it's not legal anymore. So we'll look at what he did in some of his rules for his people Israel as they was living in the promised land and see how our rules started out that way and we've changed it so much. But I want to remind you of something before we get into it. Your opinion about human death, and I see it every day, our opinion about human death is not God's opinion. He thinks entirely different about it than we do. And if you remember, in Genesis, where it talked about Noah and the ark. When it came time for God to tell Noah to build a boat, 
the whole world to some extent was inhabited. And God killed every single person on the earth that Jesus had created. Jesus being his son before he came to earth. Jesus, it says, created everything for himself. And God killed every single person in the world along with a wrath of animals, all those that weren't on the ark except for eight people. Think about it for the moment. God killed every person in the world except for eight. It was Noah and his wife and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. So there were eight people that God spared when he killed the whole world. And he said he did it because of their vile wickedness. He said their minds were only good for evil. Now that pertains a certain amount to us. We're the same way. Except Jesus came and died for us that we might have a choice to be saved. But of all the, the, the things that they did back in that day, our Bible teaches us that if we'd been there, we'd have done the same thing. So we don't have an excuse, really. We think about that God created Adam and Eve, and he said that was good. But then they sinned, and he had to curse them and, out, and, and take them out of the garden. So you see... He created angels. A third of them sinned and, and, and fell out of heaven with Satan. Then he created humans and all of them when there wasn't but two sinned. So we don't have a very good record. But I'd like to show you something that happened. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. Noah, the ark, has landed on Mount Ararat and Noah has come out of the door, out onto the land and the first times right after the ark landed, God made a covenant with Noah. And look at verse 1 of chapter 9 of Genesis. I've got written on mine a new beginning God started all over. He said, what I've done is not going to work. So I've started all over with nine people, or eight people. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. The reason we're not completely devoured by wild animals today is God put the fear in them when he created them of us. They're scared of us. They tell me those man-killer tigers over in India and stuff like that, they usually hurt when they come after a man because it's easier to kill a man than it is to kill some of the things that they normally eat. And once they get the taste of salt in their mouth, they become man-killers because men's flesh is salty, and none of the things they eat normally is salty. But we eat salt. And so they get a taste for salt, and they start killing other humans. But God 
to keep that down put the dread and the fear of human beings in wild animals. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. In other words, he's created something new. See, because before this time, he provided people food in the way of vegetation. Now he says, I've given you every animal for you to eat. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, he says. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. He's given you meat now as well as the herb that you've been eating all along. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. Now he says, I'm giving you animals to eat now. I'm giving you meat to eat instead of just vegetables. But you can't eat the meat with the blood in it. You've got to cut the throat first and let them bleed out before you can eat them. You know how this, the, the Jews do with their meat. And surely the blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. You see what that says? He will hold every single animal that kills a human being responsible for that human being that that animal killed. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. This covenant he's making with Moses, there's not the data y'all now, but I'm putting this law down so you'll understand it. I am requiring the life and blood of every person from any animal that kills it. And I'm also requiring of your kinfolks to, to deal with you if you happen to be killed. So in that time, part of this law was that if anybody was murdered, then his kinfolks had to go and take care of the one that murdered. Whoso, now here is a brunt of this rule. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now let me see this. He sat down with Moses, or I don't guess they sat down, but anyhow, he was with Moses, and he, I mean uh, Noah, and he told Noah, we're making a rule now. I'm starting a new beginning. And I'm telling you something. For every person that's murdered, I'm requiring that blood, and he, the person who does the murdering has got to die. That's the law. Now, I mean, until I was a small child, Murder was handled in the courts by capital punishment. If you killed somebody, you died. Some of you might remember that. They've done away with a great deal of capital punishment. So now, God's rule that he started when there wasn't but eight people on the earth is no longer valid. In Romans chapter 13, if you remember that verse, we won't turn there. 
God turned that responsibility from you taking care of people in your family if they're murdered and you avenging their murder. He turned that responsibility over to the government. But then now the government, from God's own law, is supposed to kill everybody that, that murders somebody. This is a little sideline you may be interested in. I was. You turn back to the fourth chapter of Genesis, just a few pages to the left, in verse 8. There's an interesting thing here. It's talking about Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. You remember when Cain murdered Abel. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? We've heard that before. Cain answered him and said, Why are you asking me? Am I the one that keeps up with him all the time? Verse 10, And he said, What hast thou done? God asked Cain, What have you done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Have you ever read that? There is some kind of principle that applies as the nature of the earth that when someone who is murdered, their blood calls to God out of the ground. I've thought about that a lot. I first knew about this when I was a child and I've thought about this an awful lot of all the people that die in Chicago on a weekend of all the people that get murdered in this country, just this country, in a week. Of all the babies that have been killed and murdered. And their blood cries out to God out of the ground. If he thinks things were bad enough to kill everybody during the time of Noah, I wonder what he thinks about what's going on now. And verse 11 says, And now art thou, Cain, cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. That's weird talk. But that's what happens. I believe every word of it. So God is held witness by the earth itself of every person who is murdered. Now I'd like for you to look at Ecclesiastes, if you will. There's an interesting verse in there. I learned this verse when I started teaching child discipline from the Bible in 1979. Because it has a great deal to do with spanking children. It's God's rule about how we discipline our own children. 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You see what that says? When somebody sins, when somebody does a wrong, because they're not punished immediately, at that moment it starts in their head to be more evil. Simply because they haven't been punished yet. Now in the heart of people who do not have Jesus Christ, and I don't know about, I I can't imagine a Christian having a heart like this, but in the heart of someone who does not have Jesus Christ, I've, I've read in today literature that some psychoanalysts say that they can't understand it. But men sitting in prison and have not yet been punished for the sin that they, the crime they committed, for some reason are getting meaner every day, even those that are put in solitary confinement. It's not influenced from other prisoners that are making them meaner. They just get meaner from the inside simply because they haven't been punished yet. And in my classes, I use this. If you don't punish your child immediately, he's going to get meaner and meaner and meaner from the time he did the crime until you do punish him. God says that. So it's another law of nature. When we do something bad and get away with it, until we're punished for it, we get meaner. We start thinking about doing more bad stuff than we did. Now I'd like to remind you of something. These laws that we're fixing to look at, we're going to just look at two or three that are in Scripture. We've already seen that murder, who who so murders somebody has got to die. God says that's the way it's got to be. And we've seen that if the longer you wait to kill him, the worse he gets. So there's no wonder then that people who are not punished go out and do worse things than they did to get punished with to start with. We can expect that. What do they call them? Repeat offenders. The policeman that I've talked to said you could do away with 10% of the population of any city and do away with 90% of the crime because it's 10% of the people that do 90% of the crime. But they do over and over and over and over. You do away with them and you get rid of your crime. But we don't do that. We let them live. Today, if you remember your Bible history, the Jews had half-brothers called the Arabs. They were, the Jews were from Jacob, Abraham's son, and the Arabs came from Jacob, I mean from Abraham's son, who was Ishmael. And so the Arabs, and in the Arab countries, they still follow this law that's in Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Leviticus. They still live like this. They don't have Jesus, but they still serve Allah, a form of our God. But they distort everything he's told. 
I've got a very good friend down in Troy that went bankrupt. And he went to the Saudi Arabia, to those Arabian countries over there, and worked for three years because you could make ten times the money. And he went over and worked for three years so he could get enough money to go back in business. And he spent a good bit of time telling me about how they operate over there. And he said one day a week they hold court. They never let any crime go any longer than a week. And one day every week they handle all the crimes. If a man has stolen, they cut his hand off. There are 11 things that I've found in Scripture that God says people got to die for. Only one of them being murder, rape, and adultery, and other sins. God says you got to die. And for those sins that those people have, the crimes that they commit, if it's one of those 11 sins, they put them, put them on the head on a chopping block and they cut the head off. Now, they do this once a week publicly. And I mean, it's an it's a exhibition thing, like, like we have pro football games. People come to see all this. That's the way it was done in God's day. Because you'll see that God says this is the way to get rid of sin. You want to get rid of sin? I'll show you how to get rid of sin. It's simply saying in the whole world. But y'all can't take it. It's obvious because we haven't took it. We got better ways and smarter ways than God has of dealing with people who do things wrong. The Americans today call it barbaric the way the Arabs handle their business in these far eastern countries. They're barbaric. But they get it from God. God says, was the one that told them how to do it. He said it was an interesting thing. He said that a lot of people walk over there and the roads are crowded with people. I mean, it's just a crowd of people walking the roads all day long. There's a bunch coming this way and a bunch going that way. And in the day that he was over there, he said you could take a $200 boombox. Y'all old enough to know what a boombox is? You remember what a boombox is? Those big music playing things that folks carried on their shoulders? He said you could take a boombox and set it down on the road and walk off and come back in two hours and that boombox would be right there where you left it and they would might have been thousands of people walk by it while it was sitting there and nobody will touch it. He says what they're doing works. He guarantees that. I want to show you a couple of these things that God advocates to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Like I said, I found 11 things in the Bible that are punishable by death. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you might want to turn there, is one of these, is one of these things. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 7. You've heard of human trafficking, right? They say it's a big thing. They say that Interstate 20 
and Highway 75, Interstate 75 in Georgia are two of the most heavily trafficked highways in the United States for human trafficking where they're kidnapping people and selling them into slavery or prostitution or whatever. That went on in that day too. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 7. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and making merchandise of him or selling him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. He says, if anybody is involved in human trafficking in his day, you kill him. And he said, you're killing him for doing that, or put evil away from among you. That's a pretty sure cure. You don't have repeat offenders when you handle people like God wants you to handle them. There's another thing that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21, just a few pages back to your left. Deuteronomy from 21 to 25 is full of these rules that people had to live by back then that God had instituted. And here's one of the ones that will cause us to put our hand over our mouth and gasp probably a little bit more than we would at some of the others. This is one of those barbaric things that we talk about. In chapter 21, in verse 18, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. Here's a situation. A couple have got a pretty good-sized boy, and he won't listen to them. And they've punished him several times, and he still won't listen to them. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him. You know what that means, don't you? That means grab him. And bring him out unto the elders of the city, the elders of the city, and unto the gate of his place. In other words, the town council met in every little city at the gates of the city. That's where they met. So any time during the day you could find the leaders of a city sitting around the gate. So if you had any business to do with the town, then you could go there and put your problems before the town leaders. So you grabbed a hold of your son that wasn't minding, and you brought him out to the elders of the city and under the gate of the place, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. Uh, probably the, the word for the son here is a, probably an older teenager that's still living at home and he won't listen to his mom and daddy. 
and they punished him about it, and they can't do anything with him. So they carry him to the town council, and the town council calls the people together, and they stone him with stone so that he dies. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now listen to me. They say, but that's not a deterrent. Capital crime, capital punishment is not a deterrent. I've heard that. I've heard it argued all of my life. God says, so shalt thou put evil away from among you. In other words, you're going to get rid of the crime. And all Israel shall hear and fear. When you do it publicly, people don't do it anymore. They hear what happened to the other one and they don't want to be caught. Now let me say this. You've seen on your news that governments in the United States have allowed people to protest, to burn public buildings, to burn businesses, to steal everything out of a business, loot, they call it, allowed them to loot, and they know who they are. I have recognized them. I didn't know them, but I could, rec I could pull them out of a lineup because they've been on my TV carrying mattresses and clothes and jewelry and all out of stores. You've seen it. They're not going to do anything about it. Now, but based on what we've seen already about what God says in his word, what do you think those people are going to do the next time they have a chance? They're going to go back and do it again because next time they're going to be worse than they were before because they got away with it. And he says it is a deterrent. My dad told me that they moved to Shelby County between Montevallo and Clear at a place called New Alley out there where the railroad track goes across Highway 25 right to the left there just about a mile. But they came to Clear on Saturday and they came to Montevallo on some Saturdays. And right up there across from the Chevrolet place at the city hall at Montevallo where the used car lot used to be, there was a big oak tree there that people called the hanging tree. My dad came to this part of the country when he was 13. He happened to see a hanging up there in that vacant lot, and he saw the man hit the end of the rope, and he said he didn't know how it affected anybody else, but there were several times that a crowd of boys was trying to get him to get in with them to do some mischief, and he thought about what that man's face looked like when he hit the end of that rope. Now suppose you were at a place where you saw a man got his hand cut off because he stole. What's that going to do when you want to pick up something? When you've seen a man bent over a chopping block, had his head cut off, what's that going to do to you when you think about doing what he got punished for? See, the people who are doing crime today in this country aren't scared of anything. They go to prison and they take our tax money and they keep them cool and they feed them and they provide them with certain standard of living and they just get meaner 
and meaner and meaner, and we're paying for it. God did not make those provisions for Israel and his people. He said there are 11 things you kill people for, and the punishment you do to the rest of them is severe. And if a man barred another man's ox and was going to plow his garden with it, and the ox died while he had it, he had to go replace that ox with seven oxen. Folks are not going to borrow your lawnmower when they know you're going to have to pay you seven times what the lawnmower's worth if something happened to us while they got it. But that's the way God's business was handled in that day. And that's not the way we handle it now. Now the question I ask you, why not? Why don't we do that? Why did we not keep doing that? I think there are two reasons. One, because, like I said, people say it's barbaric. We're way too sophisticated to do things like God does it. We're smarter than that. We wouldn't allow for that to happen in our country. And the other is that people sympathize with the people. And the other reason is this, that people are making money off of the defense of the people who are, are accused of a crime. I think about it every time I hear a lawyer's ad on TV. I heard one the other day that says, have you been in an accident? Now, you know what an accident is. That's something that's not normal to happen, something that just pops up and happens. It said, as lawyer said, if you've been in an accident, somebody was at fault. And if you'll hire us, we'll find out who it was and get you a bunch of money. But what they don't tell you on their ads is they get themselves a bunch of money too. And I don't believe they do it because they're trying to do the right thing. I think they do it because of what they're trying to get for themselves because most of the lawyers that I know wear $1,000 suits. And they make money off our troubles. But we got to have them. So we use them. So two things. We sympathize with the, with the victim. We say that's too harsh. Or else we're making money off of trying to keep them from being punished. I thought it was interesting. I went through a book yesterday I have that I write down things that I think are important. And I was thumbing through there to find something, and I found this without thinking that, without remembering it was even in there. In the Birmingham News, in the 11th month and the 27th day of the month of November the 27th of 1987, William Buckley, you remember, some of you remember him, used to write an article for the Birmingham News, and he quoted John Adams the first vice president of the United States after the Constitution was written, and he was one of the 52 signers, John Adams was. He was the first vice president and the second president of the United States. And he said this, our Constitution was made only 
for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of anybody else. Now listen to me. There are people that you see on your news that are trying to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And there's way more of them that are trying to destroy it. John Adams said the Constitution of the United States is only good for people who are moral and upright and for Christians. For anybody else, it won't work. And we're seeing a lot of people that it won't work for. They're trying to change it. They're trying to do away with it. They're trying to make new laws where we won't have to listen to what the Constitution said and the founding fathers of this country intended for us to live. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, you may want to turn there. A few pages back to the left. There's something else that God said, knowing us and how we would be. And he made provision for this also, if we choose to follow him. In chapter 7 of Deuteronomy in verse 1, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee unto the land, whither thou goest to possess it, the promised land, when I put you in the promised land, and hath cast out many nations before thee, and I got rid of the people who were already there, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Seven nations greater and mightier than you. I put you in the promised land and there was already seven nations there that were stronger than you and I got rid of them all for you. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before you, in other words, you'll kill them all. Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor show mercy unto them. God says, when I make a place for you, show you how you need to live in it, and get rid of all these people that will bring you down that are already there, don't you show any mercy to them. Let me kill them. Don't get in the way of it. And verse 16 and thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto you. In other words, just like I said a couple of weeks ago about this chapter in the Bourbon Street, he was down there trying to preach Jesus in probably the biggest sin city in the whole United States. And he was there for several years without getting caught. And finally, it got the best of him. And he got to sinning like they were doing. And that's what God is saying here. If you hang out with them, you're going to start doing what they do. You don't have any pity on them. Don't do what they do. Don't serve their gods. You serve me and do like I tell you, he said. 
and verse 22. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. I'm not going to get rid of all these people at the same time, he said. Now look at the common sense in this. Our God is a common sense God, and you see it all the time in the Scripture. And the Lord thy God will put thee out these nations before thee, but little by little. Thou mayest not consume them all at once, lest the beast of the field increase upon you. You kill all these people, and the wild beast will outnumber you, and they'll come and kill you. So what we're going to do as you move into the country and you get saturated, we'll kill the people out ahead of you just enough to where the wild animals won't take over and kill you. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings unto thine hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall be no man be able, there shall no man be able to stand before thee until thee have destroyed them. He's talking about those people that were already in Canaan. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee lest thou be snared therein. Don't take anything from these people, even the gold and silver that they've got in their idols. Don't take it home and melt it down and keep it for your money, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination unto thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. Here's something else. You've got to be real careful what you bring into your house. From curio shops, from flea markets, from estate sales, from all this other stuff. Because if you bring something into your house that the maker of it has put a curse in it in order to have good blessings from Satan, it's going to affect you adversely like it did them. So don't bring their stuff into your houses. It's like I told you, that missionary with the, with, the, with the Hopi Indians out in Arizona talking about all that turquoise jewelry. You've got to be real careful, she said, when you buy that stuff because they started selling it from Avon and all in their catalogs and they had to quit it because it was bringing so many curses on people because the makers of that stuff were heathens were unsaved people, and they asked Satan to curse their jewelry that they made so they could get a lot of money for it. And when you buy it and bring it into your house, it puts that curse on you. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. A few pages over in Deuteronomy chapter 13 in verse 8. Verse 6. 
if thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or thy wife, or thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor their fathers. If somebody is trying to get you, tempting you to go and worship another god, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you. In other words, this bunch of people that's been serving idols, then you're moving into their land. Don't pick up anything you find that they've left. Don't keep it for yourself, even if it's made out of gold or silver, because it's cursed. And verse 8, Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him. Don't pay any attention to somebody who wants to try to get you to pay attention to somebody other than the God that we serve ourselves. Neither shalt thine eye pity him, neither shalt thy spare, neither shalt thy conceal him. You don't let him live, and you don't try to hide him. It talks about another thing in Deuteronomy 19. We won't turn there, but thine eye shalt not pity him. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 21, and thine eye shalt not pity him. It's all over. You don't feel sorry for someone who sins against God and God deals with him. You can't let yourself do that. Because you see, little by little, you'll change what God said that you needed to do with people who sinned, and you, I, I, I called a person and spoke to him this week about a person who they'd been trying to help. And I told him, I said, look, is this person that you're trying to help a Christian? No. Do you know they're not? Yes. Then what have you got to offer that person? But Jesus Christ, that's all. And if they won't listen to you about Jesus, quit dealing with them. If they come back and say, look, I, I, I need you to help me again, well, what are you going to do about Jesus? Well, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. Well, I'm sorry, I can't hit We have let everything slip that God said to do, and now we've got a government that doesn't work. I think you'll agree with that. Every time we turn on, I've got where I can't watch news because of what it shows me about our government. Somebody said the other day, well, you know, those Republicans, I'm beginning to worry about them. I said, they're politicians, aren't they? So there's not good ones and bad ones. They're everywhere. They're out for themselves. And they're not concerned about God. They say they are because they want our vote. But you know, it's a something when the government will not punish lawbreakers because they want them to vote for them. That's a pretty cheap price to pay for sin. Pretty cheap price. But I'm going to say something to you folks. We're Christians. We have no choice. God gave us a choice, but he doesn't really expect us to do the wrong thing. So some kind of way we've got to stand and bridge the gap. We've got to remind people, but that's not like God wants it. That's not like Jesus wants it. 
Do you know anything about Jesus? Let me tell you something about Jesus. That's the reason I act like I do. That's supposed to be our response. But I think too many of us, do you remember Archie Bunker? Y'all remember that show? You remember Edith, his wife, Edith Bunker? I remember what she said one time on one of those shows. She said, well, you know how she talked with that New York accent or whatever it was. It wasn't, she wasn't from Alabama or Selma or nothing like that, I know. But she said, well, I'm all for capital punishment as long as it's not too severe. Do you remember? I can't talk like her. But that's us. Oh yes, I believe in capital punishment because I'm a Christian and God says that whosoever shed man's blood must man, by man must his blood be shed. He's got to die. But we're all like either Bunker. That we believe in capital punishment. God says it works. As long as it's not too severe. And that's what we put up with. And I'm saying, well, what, what, what course do we have now? As Christians, we need to remind people of who we are. And we need to preach for the values of Jesus Christ in this world. We need to let people know that we are attempting as much as we can to follow Jesus Christ who followed God. So God had a way that sin would not be in a country. And that was the way he did it. And that's the way some of the Arab countries are still in it, still doing those things, but we call it barbaric because it's too severe. But that's the way you do it. Now, you see, I've got my little model of this thing right here that I think would work better than anything else. And it has to do with human nature, and it has to do with small-town government, and it has to do with police, and it has to do with all these kind of things that we could incorporate today that would work beautifully. In the parking lot at Matavala, at the police station, in the parking lot, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, everybody's been stopped for traffic tickets all week. Now, you know about being stopped for a traffic ticket. You're standing on the side of the highway. The policeman's standing there talking to you with his little notepad, and he's fixing to write you a ticket. The worst thing, you're standing there looking both ways just like that, like somebody's fixing to run over you. Why? Because you're not worried about the ticket. If you have to, you'll go borrow the money and pay the ticket. You just don't want nobody to drive by and see you standing there getting caught by a policeman. That's what you don't like. Right? So publicly in the parking lot at Montevallo, every Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, everybody with a traffic ticket has to stand there before the court and get fined for the ticket that they do in public. Now for some of those things, you get three or four licks with a stick. You can't pay your way out of it. You got to bend over and let them whack you on the back with a piece of cane or something like they do over there like they did in the Philippines, you know, several years ago, and they hired lawyers, and it was worldwide that a, 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 a town over there punished one of their guys by beating him with a cane. 
It's all God. A rod is for the back of fools of them that lack understanding of right and wrong, he says in Proverbs. So you do it up there, publicly, in front of everybody. And everybody's talking about, well, I saw you up there on the parking lot last Saturday morning. I saw you had to pay that $30 deal. You said, man, I mean, you wouldn't speed again. I guarantee you you won't. But if you can hide it all secretly and pay a little bit of money, you'll just keep right on doing it over and over again. They stopped my mama going to school at Camp Branch one day. She taught up there. She's driving 77 miles an hour in her Pontiac. She said, but I wasn't speeding. And the policeman says, here's the radar. You were going 77. She couldn't believe it. She doesn't believe it till this day. She's dead now, but she didn't believe it till she died. Don't want to get caught. It's not about the crime. It's, I don't want to get caught. Somebody might see me getting caught. We've done away with all that. We've allowed it to be a secret process where we get out of it without a lot of people even knowing we were in it. God doesn't deal with it like that. Now, does that mean you're supposed to carry your son that won't listen to you to the city hall and they stone him a stone? Did he die? I've been asked that question. No. That shows you what God thinks about sin in our town. It shows you what God thinks about sin in our state, in our county, in our United States of America. And you've got to remember with all this thing that we do with God and our relationship with him, God still hates sin, folks. He hates it. He hates it whether you do it or I do it or anybody else does it. He hates it. And he wants it done away with. And we put our hand over our mouth and smile and say, well, you know, I do sin some, you know, but then everybody sins. And that's the way we treat it. And it's not right. So you say, why this? I don't know. God wanted me to, to say it. God wanted me to preach this. And I guess he wants us to see that even in the mess that we're in today, God had a way to make it right. But we wouldn't do it. And maybe in our way of thinking, it will bend us a little bit toward his perfect way. Because believe me, people, God is not barbaric. He's not. And his methods aren't either. He had it fixed to where we could live without sin. And we chose not to do it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. We look and see what could have been. But Lord, when we look at just the way you had it planned, we see that we don't have to feel guilty because we want our governments to do something to punish people who are involved in crime. Crime is sin. Anytime we break the law, that's sin. So Lord, don't make us apologize for the way we think because we'd really rather have it your way if we just didn't have to do it ourselves. 
So, Lord, I thank you for the way you planned for people before and the way you intended for us to live. And I ask your forgiveness, Lord, for not keeping it the way you wanted it to be to start out with. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.